Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best value registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. Because God doesn't comfort me just to make me comfortable. God comforts me to make me comfortable. So then I am able to comfort someone else with the comfort I've received. So after I've gone through the pain place and the shame place and I've moved through that, really the icing on the cake, what will give you a better story is to take what you've now gone through and the healing you've received from it and then use that to help someone else. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. So many of us don't like the story that God is writing in our lives, our mistakes, our failures, our tragedies, and circumstances that are out of our control often take over our thinking and hold us back. So how do we come to grips with the pieces of our stories that we wish weren't there? How do we silence the pain of what's been done to us and then maybe the shame of what we've allowed to be done through us? These are tough questions that my guest today is not afraid to tackle. Sharon Janes is an author and speaker who has come to understand that the hardest parts of our stories are where we get to see God's greatest work. And ultimately, I never thought of it this way, ultimately, it changes the end of our stories. And I love that. It's a perspective we all need. So welcome to the No More Perfect podcast, Sharon. Thank you. Excited to be here, Jill. Of course. You know, I did not know that this was your 25th book. And I just read that somewhere. This was your 25th book. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You have been busy. People, you know, I'm at 14. I can't even imagine another, what, 10 more or 11 more. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. But here's the deal. You know, I know for me, every one of my books has a story behind it or it has um, a journey, my own personal journey behind it. So I love hearing the story about how a book came to be. So can you, can you just share about why you chose to write this book? You know, it's so interesting that I started writing this book in 2019. So before 2020, but God knew that 2020 was going to hit. And so this book is coming out during a time when so many people don't like their stories. What got me to start writing the book was because after being in ministry for so long, and then Jill, I know you, you see this too in your own ministry, that so many people get stuck 
in the stories they don't like. They get stuck in the chapters they don't like. They go through a difficult situation where someone has hurt them. You know, in my own life, thinking about family members, you know, I was raised in a very difficult home environment. And one of my family members got stuck there and just has not been, has not chosen to to move forward with that. Mm. And I see that time and time again, where people go through a difficult experience and then they get stuck in that bad chapter and they don't move forward. Or Mm. it could be that someone has made a choice or decision in their life. Maybe they have had an affair or maybe they have had an abortion and they have so much shame in that decision that they make and maybe they pray that that god will forgive them but they get stuck in the fact that they they say they can't forgive themselves so that was such a burden on my heart is just to help men and women to get unstuck from those difficult dark chapters and to turn it around to allow god to redeem it and then use it for good and once we allow god to use it for good then it has full redemption in our lives And we can have a a different ending to that story. Yes. Yes. That's so powerful. I don't know if I actually said the name of the book, When You Don't Like Your Story. Powerful, powerful name, because I think people can relate to that. And there's certainly parts of my story that I don't necessarily like, but I absolutely agree with you that God can write a different ending. And so much of that happens when we really pay attention to what's going on in our head and our heart as it relates to our story. Absolutely. Further along in the book, it's really toward the end, I talk about looking at your story through the correct lens. And if you've had your eyes examined, you know, you sit in in a chair and there's a a eye chart on the wall and the, the doctor puts down these lenses and then it'll say, which looks better? Which can you read it better through lens one or lens two, lens three or lens four? And we tell them which lens helps us to see it more clearly. And Mm -hmm. in our stories, I think sometimes we are simply looking through the wrong lens to interpret our stories and to title our stories. I mean, I've got one of my friends that actually wrote about in, in the book, she always looked through her difficult marriage through the sovereignty and love of God. And honestly, Jill, sometimes she would get on my nerves because I wanted to blast the guy and she's not doing it. And, you know, and, um, and it ended up, you know, the, the, the marriage did end in divorce. But, you know, when I, when I talked to her about the process, even though I lived it with her, I, I wrote about it. So I wanted her to start at the beginning and, and get up to present day telling me again, And she says, you know what, Sharon, I've got three amazing kids who all love the Lord. I've got these grandchildren. I would have never had them without that story. She said, my faith was so fluffy. And because of what I went through, I don't just hear about Jesus as my provider. I know Jesus as my provider. I don't hear about him and just think about him with these certain aspects. I know that he is the lover of my soul. I know that he cares about me because I've experienced that firsthand. So see what she's doing, Jill, is she is looking through her story through the lens of the sovereignty and the love of God rather than what I say, looking at it through the selfishness of Sharon for my own life. But she's looking at it through a lens of what did I learn about God through this? What blessings came out of that? And, you know, that's not an easy thing to do. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. it's as simple as just flipping a lens down. But I know in your own story, and your story is one of my favorite stories in the book, 
you chose to look at that uh, your difficult situation through such a, a positive lens not at the beginning and that's what i want people to see you know it it's sometimes it's not at the very beginning but we have to get to a place where we flip that lens down and we look at it through what can i learn about this okay god what do you want me to do with what i've learned and you have that word that your love when your forgiveness was unhumanable which has become mm -hmm. one of my favorite words and you came to that conclusion because you decided that you were going to look through a different lens and so that's something I think that we can we can all take away. What? How am I looking at this story? But you know, I've kind of gone. We've kind of gone to the one of the more advanced <laughs> steps in the book is sort of starting at the beginning. But um, you know, when we decide when we're in a bad story because of or a bad chapter, usually it's not the whole of our stories that we don't like. Usually it's just certain chapters or certain pages in our story that yes. that we wish we could tear out or we wish we could mark out. But I have learned that those very pages that I wish were not in the narrative are the very pages that God has used the most in my life. And they're the very yes. pages, the very chapters that God has highlighted for me to use in ministry. And I don't want you to think, the listener to think that, oh, I have to start a ministry or have a ministry in order for God to redeem and to use these difficult parts of my life. You know, it could be with your neighbor next door. We all have a ministry of some sort. We had the Bible says we all have the ministry of reconciliation. So, and that's mm -hmm. bringing others in relationship with Jesus. So when Jill and I throw around that word ministry, I don't want you to think, well, that applies to people out there doing preaching and writing and teaching. No, that is all of us. And God will use the difficult situations in our lives, turn them around if we allow it, because we've got to yes. work with him on that. He will turn it around and use it for good. So Jill, let's talk about how we get there, how yes. we even allow how that to happen. I have four major steps that I talk about in the book. Let's just kind of talk about each one as okay. we're visiting Sounds today. Good. But the first thing that we need to do if we're stuck in a bad story is that we have to decide, I want a different story, that we want mm. a new ending to this. And what I call it is we tend to pick at the emotional scabs in our lives. Now that's yes. kind of a, you know, ugly picture, but I, I mean for it to be ugly because when something happens to us or what I say come, happens through us, when we're living in a dark place, we tend, the human brain, I don't know why we're like this, but we tend to pick at that scab so it cannot heal. And mm -hmm. we will tell that story over and over as long as there's someone to listen. And with, as if, Jill, we are taking that pain in our lives and we're putting it up on a shelf like a trophy or, or like an idol. Not that we worship it in a religious kind of way, but, but we dust it off. We say, this is why I am the way I am. And we kind of put it in a prominent place in our lives and we let it rule over us. And God wants to say, you know, if you want to have a different story, you've got to make a decision that you want to be well and that you want to stop picking at that scab. Hey, remember the story when Jesus went to the pool and there were these men and women that were lying around this pool. They believed that an angel stirred the water and the first one in would be healed. Jesus goes up to this man who had been lying there for 38 years. He was a lame mm -hmm. man. And remember right. what Jesus asked him? Yeah. He said, do you want to get well? Is that not the strangest question? And I used to read that and go, what do you mean do you want to get well? But that is the question that we need to all ask ourselves. That is the, the question for all of us who were stuck in a bad story. 
that Jesus is asking us today. Do you want to get well? Do you want to do the work that, that you need to do in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to stop picking at that emotional scab and allow God to heal it and allow God to redeem it and use it for good so you can have a new story? So the first step, yes. Jill, is we've got to decide, do I want to get well or not? Uh, yes. Yes. Now, before we go on and we talk about kind of next steps, let's talk for a moment about grief because there is an appropriate, like we don't want to skip over grief in our life, right? Like if something bad has happened, it's okay to experience, to engage in that grief, to allow ourselves to weep over it, to allow ourselves to process it as a loss, maybe if it actually is a loss. And so we need to grieve. But then you talk about at some point after we've appropriately grieved, we have to flip the lens, correct? Correct. And um, with with healing from those difficult emotions, and usually that comes in when something's been done to us. But also, yes. also there's a grieving with the mistakes that we have made. If yes. someone has had an affair, they have to grieve that they made that decision. If someone yes. has had an abortion, they have to grieve for the loss of that child. But also there's a grieving of that I made that choice for myself. There is mm-hmm. a grieving. And and psychologists tell us, it actually came from On Death and Dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, has the five stages of grief. And you saw all these, I read in your book, you saw each one of these when you were going through this with your husband. And you both, mm-hmm. you both experienced mm-hmm. these. The first mm-hmm. stage is denial and isolation. The second is anger. The third is bargaining. The fourth is depression. And then the fifth is acceptance. So we all go through we should go through, I should say, we should allow ourselves to grieve and go through these steps and recognize them as they come up because there is almost in a healthy healing, there is a natural progression of these steps and you can get stuck on any of them. But yes, Yes. and really where your book somewhat picks up is once we get to acceptance, that is when that lens flips or sometimes the lens needs to flip in order to experience acceptance. Right. W- but would you that know be what? correct? Yes. But Jill, you know what? For the belief for the Christian, for the believer, there is another another step. Psychologists mm. will say that the last step is acceptance. But for us who know Jesus, there is a sixth step and that is resurrection. So not only do we accept what has happened, then there's resurrection of our story to then turn around and use it for good. And we see that all through the scripture. We see that in Revelation twelve eleven, where it says they overcame him, talking about the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You think about that, that your story is so powerful that it's in the same sentence with the blood of the lamb. No wonder the, the devil wants you to get stuck on one of these steps of grief. He doesn't want you to move through that. He wants you to stay ashamed of what you've done. He wants you to stay hurt and mad and angry at the people who have hurt you. He doesn't want you to have a resurrection power in your story because that is what ultimately with the blood of the lamb will defeat him. Mm, Yes. Powerful, powerful perspective. And the other thing that as you were talking through kind of that first step too, is it's also 
keeping you out of a victim mindset, really. Because if, if we don't flip that lens, we can, like you were saying, it's like we, this is what happened to me and we put it up on a, you know, put it up on the mantle and, and we can get stuck in that victim mindset. And you're wanting us to move from victim to victor and recognize that God can use this in ways that you can't even imagine. And and let me tell you, one of the reasons that we tend to stay stuck in those places, especially if it's not just a page of a bad story, but a whole chapter of a bad story, Mm -hmm. is because, um, let's go back to the man who was lying at that pool for 38 years. For him to be healed, think about it, 38 years is a long time. For Mm -hmm. him to be healed, he was going to have to change his lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And for us to make a decision that I am not going to be stuck there any longer, when we're stuck in a bad story, we know what to expect. And even though we don't like it, it's like wearing an old shoe that's falling apart. You know, at least it fits and it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. But to be healed, that's uncertainty. And sometimes we would rather stay in the, the, the darkness of certainty if we know what to expect here than the, the help of uncertainty. Because once oh, yeah. we aren't we don't have that to blame any longer. We don't, it's a whole new learning process of learning how to yes. live healthy. And, and one thing I say often, Jill, is that it's okay to go back and look at your past to try to understand why you are the way you are or mm-hmm. the way you are a certain way, but it's not an excuse to stay that way. Yes. Yes, you're exactly right. You know, Mark and I do do this so often in our marriage coaching with couples. We talk about that your early life or, you know, before wherever you're at and the circumstances you're in, you experienced what we call internships. You learned different things. You learned different mindsets from maybe it was from your home of origin. Maybe it was earlier in your marriage relationship, but you learn these internships and internships are how you do things. And sometimes we need to examine those and go, okay, did that internship serve me well? Or do I need to do a new internship as it relates to conflict resolution, as it relates to my thinking about myself, as it relates to money management, who knows what it is, but it's requiring us to kind of go back and look at it and go, hmm, maybe I actually have some growth opportunity in front of me. And yes, that is uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable because it requires us to push through an awkward place to get to a new, maybe healthier normal. Right. When growing up in my home environment, where there was a lot of violence, there was a lot of alcohol, my dad would beat my mom. And I mean, it was a horrible thing to see. My response to that would be hiding. So Mm. I would hide in my bed as a little girl and pull the covers up. I would hide in my closet. I would sneak in my brother's room and hide in my brother's room. So then when I got married and we had conflict, what did I want to do? (laughs) You wanted to hide. I did not hide in my closet, but I did not (laughs) want to talk about it. (laughs) And so, but this was even before we got married. And if Steve and I had conflict, I would shut down because see, that is how I learned to cope. And my, my story had taught me that just shut down. And so it was uncomfortable to me to leave my response to my story. And this is well after I'm a Christian. So this is ingrained in my mind. This is my my MO for responding to mm-hmm. conflict. Yes, I had to get out of that. That It wasn't comfortable. Shutting down wasn't comfortable either. But it was what I was comfortable with. 
So there's, yes. a, there's a big difference, being comfortable with something and being comfortable. So I had to learn how to handle conflict differently. And, and Steve mm-hmm. was so good, he would not let me shut down. He really got on my nerves at first, but, but I knew it was healthy. <laughs> he was healthy and I was not. So he would, he would make me have these discussions that I did not want to have. And I had to relearn. You know, It tells us in Scripture, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that means transforming our mind with Scripture and mm-hmm. the old ways we've been programmed. But we can also apply that to reprogramming our mind to have healthy responses when we had been programmed previously with unhealthy responses because of the story that we've lived. Yes. Yes. Oh, I so see that. All right. So you said that really are kind of our first step in starting to flip that switch and, and look through a different lens is, do I want to get well? Do I really want to get well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. What, what's next? Well, well, then the next thing we do is we have to forgive those people who have hurt us. And that's where my, my new favorite word that you coined, unhumanable, comes in. But, you know, <laughs> um, Jill, our, our whole Christian faith is based on forgiveness. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's the cornerstone of our faith. And yet it is one of the disciplines that we have the hardest time with. Yes. I remember going to a football game once. And listen, I am not a football fan. I'm not a sports fan. I mean, we had mm-hmm. people over for the Super Bowl. And I honestly do not know who was playing. I still don't know who was playing. <laughs> I could tell you about the commercials, but I don't know the game. So I was sitting at a football game. And it was a college football game. And I, I was people watching. And I was at the end of a row. And people were going up the stands and they kept tripping on this step right beside me. And I, hmm. I really got tickled. I mean, they didn't hurt themselves, but they would spill a drink or, you know, at first it was like, oh no, but then it was just got funny. But at halftime, I went and measured that step and it was about a quarter inch or a half inch higher than the other steps. And I thought that is so much like forgiveness because it's just a little bit higher than some of the other steps that we take as Christians. And it is often the one that we trip on. And talk about putting something on a shelf. We can put what someone did to us and how they did it. And we can put that on a shelf like a trophy and dust that off and keep it shiny. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the Bible says to forgive as Christ has forgiven me. And I think the problem we have with it is the definition of forgiveness. You know, what does forgiveness really mean? And, you know, forgiveness is not, let's talk about what it is not. It is Mm -hmm. not saying that what that person did doesn't matter. It is Mm -hmm. not saying that what that person did is okay. We're not saying it's okay. What it is saying is that we're going to give the burden of that hurt to God, and we're not going to carry it around any longer. I think going back to, you know, the New Testament was written in Greek. So going back to the Greek word for forgiveness, the Greek word is actually pronounced aphiomi. And aphiomi means to cut someone loose or let someone go free. So the opposite of that, which would be unforgiveness or not forgiving, is you think about it, you're strapping someone on your back and you're carrying that person around with you on your back. So the very people that you're angry at, um, maybe the person you hate the most, you've got that person strapped on your back because of what they've done to you and you're carrying that burden around for you. Here's the thing. You're carrying that around with you. But the thing is, Jill, most of the time, those people don't care. And a lot mm-hmm. of times they don't even know that you're carrying this burden around with you. And I've heard these are two great sentences I did not write. I don't know who wrote them, but let's, let's ponder these. One is forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and realizing the prisoner was you. 
Yes. And then unforgiveness is like drinking a poison and waiting for the other person to die. Mm -hmm. Because the only, only person that it hurts when we choose not to forgive is our own self. You know, when I was studying this and I was trying to learn how to say a me in my Southern accent, I kept saying off of me instead of a me. <laughs> and I'm like, my goodness, that's exactly what it is. It's like off right. of me. I'm going to get this off of me. I'm not going to carry it around with me any longer. Jill, when I actually wrote about you in the book, your story has a has a good ending to it. And then I wrote about another person right after you, which did not have such a good ending. She and her Mm -hmm. husband did not reconcile, but she chose to forgive and to Mm -hmm. let that go. And she was going to not let that ruin her life. So in that, in that aspect, it was a good ending because she is free and she's not letting the hurt and the pain dictate the rest of her life. And we will not get unstuck. We will not, we will stay in a dark chapter and it will affect every area of our lives as long as we choose not to forgive. Yes. And it is a choice. I think a lot of times we expect that we'll get to a place where we'll feel like forgiving and the feeling doesn't come. It is a decision we have to make. And I think that is also a place that people get stuck. The other place I think people get stuck is they, you know, and it depends on the dynamics of the relationship. But I know in the environment I often work in helping married couples work through crisis, people are afraid to forgive because they think then they'll have to start trusting again. And it's like, no, those really, they're not the same thing. You can forgive and it starts and it opens the door to rebuild trust, but in and of itself, it doesn't rebuild trust. So I think sometimes we we hold back because we have some misconceptions too. Absolutely. And trust and forgiveness are very different. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, and as you say, tr- forgiveness is a decision, but it is also a process in that it begins with a decision and the process is when those feelings eventually come. And they're not going to come at first. You know, I just Mm-mm. don't think, well, and here's another thing too, I want to mention, Jill, I see this happening a lot and it happened with me. And I'd love to tell you an incredible story of forgiveness. But when I say I'm going to forgive someone, what happens when there's a trigger and those angry feelings come back up yes. and I feel them all over again? The tendency is for me to say, well, I must have never forgiven them in the first place. But I want to encourage you today, if you're listening, that if that has been your experience and you've made the decision to forgive, something triggers and the anger comes back up and you feel like I must not have forgive them in the first place, you will continue to have triggers. And when that happens, you speak to that. You speak Mm -hmm. you speak to the enemy who doesn't want you to forgive. And you say, no, I have already forgiven him for that. I don't feel it right now, but I have made the decision to forgive it. Forgive him to cut that loose and to let it go or to forgive her to cut her loose and let it go. I've made mm-hmm. that decision. So, you know, David talked to himself all the time in the Psalms. So he, 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 he would say, why are you so upset? Oh, my soul. So who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. So it's a good thing for us to have sit down talks with ourselves when those those feelings come back up and we can address the feeling with the fact that we have already done that. Yes. Yes. I love that. Oh, all right. So we have to ask ourselves, do 
I want to get well. And then we have to grapple with forgiveness and we have to get to that place where we choose forgiveness. What is a next step in helping us to begin to flip that lens on our story? Hey, Jill, suppose the person that you need to forgive is yourself. Mm. That's a whole nother story, isn't it? You know, it I, is. I talk about forgiving other people is coming out of the pain place. But forgiving yourself is coming out of the shame place. And we can get so stuck in the bad chapter of decisions that we have made. And again, that could be can be an affair, sexual promiscuity, that can be an abortion. I mean, the list is very long. We can get yes. so stuck there. And I know woman after woman has said to me, well, I have prayed that God will forgive me. And some say, I have prayed and asked God to forgive me, and I know that he has, but I can't forgive myself. Now, some will say, well, forgiving yourself is not real, really biblical. But you know what? It's really receiving God's forgiveness is, is yes. the biblical way to say it. But but men and women say, I can't forgive myself. That's the terms they're using. So let's let's meet them where they are. And let, mm -hmm. let's talk about what they're saying. So you can't forgive yourself. When we say that, we are holding ourselves to a higher standard than God. And listen, as I already mentioned, that that revelation verse about they overcame with the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, the devil does not want you to forgive yourself. He wants you to stay in that shame place. And that begins with the decision too, a decision of believing. Listen, this is kind of harsh. Do you believe that God tells the truth? Whoa. Mm. Do we believe that God tells the truth? Well, if I believe that God tells the truth, then God says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It also tells us the Bible says, God says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes. So do yes. I believe that? Do I believe it's true? And sometimes I think it's easier to believe it for other people than it is for ourselves because we know what we are really like. But we need to begin to start seeing ourselves as God sees us. And you know what, Jill, that goes back to that verse about renewing your mind with the truth. We've got some old thought patterns that are ingrained in our minds and that, yes, they're thought patterns like we were talking about that have been ingrained from the way we were raised, those thought mm -hmm. patterns. We also have mm -hmm. thought patterns of shame and condemnation that are in our, in our minds because of what we've done. Mm -hmm. And we need to replace that with the truth of God's word and who we really are in Christ. So there's a, a renewing process. And again, some of that comes with talking to yourself and speaking truth to yourself. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We need to, we need to speak to ourselves what the Bible says. Now, let me tell you one of the, the key elements of coming out of a shame place. Once you've made that decision that you are going to come out of that shame place, and once you turn that around and you use your story for good by helping someone else, mm -hmm. the devil cannot hold that over you any longer. Because you see, you know, we talk about, we talk about Romans 8, 28, that God uses all things for the good to those who love God and according to his purpose. But I think mm -hmm. that good is when we can then take the difficulties in our life and use it to help someone else. And once we do yes. that, the enemy can't use it against us any longer. And that's exactly what you're doing in your ministry. Another verse that I love in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4 says that 
God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort others with the comfort. We've been comforted by God. Now, that's kind of a twisty, yeah. twisty verse of there. But basically, that so that in that verse is so important. God yes. comforts us so that, underline it, circle it, put a big star by it, because God doesn't comfort me just to make me comfortable. God comforts me to make me comfort-able, so then I am able to comfort someone else with the comfort I've received. So yes. after I've gone through the pain place and the shame place and I've moved through that, the really the icing on the cake, what will give you a better story is to take what you've now gone through and the healing you've received from it and then use that to help someone else. And once you do it, there's the good in it and the devil cannot use it against you any longer. But Jill, as mm-hmm. long as we're keeping that to ourselves and we're, we're still ashamed of what we've done, I believe as long as we're, we keep that hidden, that the devil knows where that hidden key is, and he's going to bring it up at the most unopportune times. But once we hand that key to Jesus and allow him to use it as he will, then that cannot yes. happen any longer. Yes, yes. And, you know, Sharon, I think when people talk about using it to help someone else, they often think like, well, does that mean I need to write a book? Does that mean I need to like, you know, stand on a stage? No, it means that when you have an opportunity and you're sitting across the table having coffee with someone and you can leverage that story in some way to bring encouragement to them, you're willing to share it, right? Right. And you know, I tell you what, the biggest example I saw of that was with my own dad. You know, as I mentioned, growing up in that violent home with that violent environment and I became a teenager I mean, I became a Christian as a teenager with a woman that lived down the street from me. Mm-hmm. And um, three years later, my mom came to Christ and my dad started going to church with us. He said, Sharon, but I could never become a Christian because there's too many things I've done in my life. God could never forgive me. But when I was 21, my dad was about to be sued in my small town. He had broken a restrictive covenant and started a business that was in competition with another one. And he was about to have a nervous breakdown. And uh, my mom had her own business, she had a little craft shop, and she had gone up to Pennsylvania from North Carolina. And my dad um, went up there to try to find her. He couldn't find her anywhere. And he drove by a church and he said, I need someone to pray for me. And the secretary said, well, the priest isn't here, but I know a Baptist preacher who's out in the woods building his church. And she drew a little scratch on a scratch piece of paper, a little mat. My dad followed that mat and found this man. And um, so my dad walked up to him and said, I need you to pray for me. And he said, well, tell me your story. And Jill, probably for the first time, my dad told this man everything he'd done. I mean, there were fairs, there was gambling, on and on and on. And then that man put his arm around my dad and he said, now, Alan... Let me tell you what I've done. And the way my dad described it to me, he said, Sharon, everything that I had done, this man had done too. And I knew that if God could forgive him and he could be a preacher, then he could forgive me. And my dad accepted Christ that day. And so what if that man had not told him his story and he had been ashamed of it and kept it to himself? I don't think my father would have accepted Christ that day. Because he'd been going to church with us for three years, but he'd never seen anybody like him. And you see, that was keeping him from moving mm. forward. Hey, you remember when um, when Jesus was resurrected and he went before his disciples in the upper room? 
Mm-hmm. He just appeared and he said, peace, be still. And then what was the next thing he did? He showed, he held out his hands and what mm-hmm. would his disciples have seen? They saw the holes in his hands. They did. They saw what they had saw, happened to him. They, mm-hmm, they saw the scars in his hand, pulled up the tunic, saw the scar there. And once they saw the scars, they knew it was Jesus. See, I don't think they believed it was him at first. Until they saw mm-hmm. the scars. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's how people know Jesus today. When we are not ashamed to show our scars, per se, to, to tell our stories. My dad had seen, read about Jesus in the Bible, seen pictures of Jesus, heard other people talk about Jesus. But until he saw the scars, those difficult pages in someone else's life and how God forgave him, mm-hmm. then he really understood for the first time Yes. Of what that really meant. And I remember, Jill, when I first started telling more different parts of my story, and I said, well, you know, Lord, there's, there's some things I really don't want to tell. And, and I had this impression from God. And sometimes I say, you know, God said to me, but it's not like he's speaking audibly. It's more mm-hmm. of a thought that comes into my head that I did not put there. And I heard this thought, would you rather think, as if God was saying to me, would you rather people think well of me or well of you? And I said, oh, Lord, I want people to think well of you. And there's there's nothing that I, I don't tell that he encourages, you know, that I have when I have the opportunity. But I want to also say this, Jill, too. We never want to do ministry at the expense of others. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, we, if, we don't want to be telling a story that shames someone else. When I tell the story of my family, I had their permission that my mm-hmm. mom and dad have both passed away now. But I had their permission before I did it because I never wanted to damage them. And there's some parts of my story that I don't tell, not because I'm ashamed of it, because I don't want to hurt someone else. Mm-hmm. who is, is part of that. So, you know, I just want to kind of throw that out there that I'm not saying tell everything about everybody. Um, but, you know, there's some some that I don't tell publicly, but I might tell one-on-one. Yes, I would agree. And, uh, you know, same here. You know, I share our stories so openly. And, of course, Mark and I have agreed on that. And sometimes, you know, when I speak, I share some of my kids' uh, stories. But, again, I've done that with permission. So, most definitely. And you also find ways that you can share a story without having to reveal all the details. And, you know, sometimes that happens when you begin to share that over and over and you learn how to, how to do that in a way that won't dishonor others. Right. Yeah. I love that. So we want to get well, we have to ask ourselves that we have to forgive. Um, We want to use it to help someone else. And when we, when we do that, Jill, that is really how we have a better story. Mm, that's yep, the that's, ending, the new ending. That's the new ending because that story no longer stops at the point of pain. Mm. Whether, no matter how you got it, it doesn't stop there. But it stops at resurrection now. It stops at resurrection and allowing God to, I mean, not that we have to allow God to do anything, but he keeps writing the story and we we have to decide, am I going to go with the flow of his pen or am I going to stop right here and not allow him to to use my story in the way that it, it could be used to help mm-hmm. someone else. And that's how we ha- that's how we have a different story. Right. So really in resurrection it's where the pain stops and the purpose starts. Correct. But the pain does not stop automatically. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I give the illustration of, you know, people say time heals all wounds. That is so not true. I don't know who came up with that, but it, it is not true. Because you think about if you have a wound on your leg and you just thought, okay, well, time's going to heal that. Time heals all wounds. No, you have to clean it out. You have to you know, put medicine on it, bandage it. And even when that's healed, sometimes you're going to favor the other leg mm-hmm. because it takes a while for the the pain of that to, to go away. And I want to say that the more I've told my story, the less pain I feel from it. And at this point, I have no pain at all. But that was not true in the beginning. When I first started telling my story, it was very difficult. And I did feel um, the pain of that. But now, now I don't. And it does become easier, you know, with time. Mm-hmm. I remember when my mom, you can imagine a lot of forgiveness had to go on in my family yes. um, after after my parents came to Christ. But there was still a lot of struggle and a lot of things that, that were programmed in the way they acted toward each other that, that needed to change. But I remember the, the last six weeks of my mom's life, and I was with her, and um, she was looking out the window one day, and I said, Mom, what are you thinking about? And she said, I'm thinking it's not how you start, but how you finish. And I said, well, who taught you that? She said, you taught me that. And you know Mm -hmm. what, Jill, I did not have a good start, but I'm having a good finish. And my mom didn't have a good start. She did not have a good middle, but she had a good ending to her story and she finished well. And for everyone who's listening today, you might be in a very difficult place right now. And I want you even though you might not have started well, I want you to finish well. And that decision to finish well can start today. Yes, it absolutely can. I love what you wrote um, in the book. You said, we cannot delete, discard, or amend the past, but we can repurpose and reclaim the present. I love that. That is a vision statement that really can carry us forward. So powerful. This is a book that, I mean, already, you know, I was so excited for it to come out. Obviously, I've known it's been in the pipeline for a little while. And I've got a list of people, literally, that I am getting ready to hop on and order several copies and just send it uh, to people that have been through some really hard things and just wanting to bring them a word of encouragement to help them uh, to see that purpose in there. So thank you for writing this. I think it's very, very powerful. You know, Sharon, I know that, you know, it's, it's very likely that we have hurting people that are, are listening to this particular episode. Would you pray for them? And then after we pray, I'd love for you to tell people also where they can connect with you online, but let's just take a few moments here and, and just pray for them. Lord, I thank you for every single person that's listening today. Uh, We know it's not an accident that they tuned in today. Mm -mm whether this is when the podcast first came out or whether it's been several months, you are the one who led them to this for a reason. Lord, we know that every time we hear a new truth from you, it is an invitation, an invitation to make a change in our lives, that you are reaching out, that you are pursuing us because you want us to to have a better story than what some of us are living. Lord, I pray for that woman who has been hurt by men or other family members in her life, mm-hmm. by friends who have left her. Lord, I, pr- I pray for the men who are listening, who are struggling with family members and other women, maybe their wife that has hurt them and things that have been said 
to them. I pray for children who have been hurt by parents. I pray for parents who have been hurt by their adult children. Mm-hmm. Lord, I pray for the, the wounds that are so prevalent in our culture and around the world. Lord, I pray for each one of us to, to not put that wound on a shelf and just keep picking at that scab so it's not allowed to heal. But Lord, I pray that we will stop and we will hear Jesus speaking to us just like he did to that that lame man by that pool that day. Do you want to get well? And Lord, I want us to hear him saying that to us. And Lord, I want to pray that each one of us will have the, the strength to say, yes, Lord, I want to get well. I don't know how that'll look. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I'm simply saying yes, Lord, to you. And then as you say yes, Lord, I pray that you will give them the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that they Mm -hmm. will tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us Mm -hmm. when we believe. It tells us in 1 Corinthians, Lord, I pray that we will believe that, yes, we can have a better story. And Lord, for each one of us, we know that you were sovereign, Lord. Lord, we know that you are a sovereign God who loves us. We also know that, Lord, that you give us choice. Yeah. And I pray that you will give us the power to make choices, to, to go with the flow of your pen to help a redemptive story. Lord, as I pray for healing for wounds that uh, for people who have hurt each one of those listening today. And, and Lord, even for the woman who has made decisions and she's so sorry about those decisions and is filled with regret. I pray that she will experience the, the love and the forgiveness of God and that she will not hold it back with her hand, but that she will open her hand, flip her hand over and receive that that forgiveness. And I come against any power mm-hmm. of the enemy mm-hmm. that will tell her that she is not worthy of that forgiveness because Lord, we know that none of us are worthy that you chose us while we were still sinners. That's all of us. And that we all have sins. We have secret sins and that you forgive us. And then you cleanse us. You wipe the slate clean so that we can start over. I thank you, Lord, that it's not how we start, but it is how we finish and that you have made a way for us to finish. Well, we thank you for the blood of Jesus who who covers all of our sins, our mistakes, and the mistakes of others. Lord, we pray that you will give us opportunity to share our stories of redemption with other people. And we pray this in Jesus' mm-hmm. name. Amen. Oh, thank you so much. Such a powerful, powerful prayer. So Sharon, where's the best place for people to get the book? Where's the best place to find you online? Uh, when they can get the book at anywhere where they normally would purchase books. There's, you know, Amazon has it. They There's also an audio book and the ebook. And then of course the paperback book, mm-hmm. CBD or christianbooks.com is a great place. Your local bookstore, always promoting, you know, buying it at your local bookstore. You can get it on my website and that's SharonJanes.com. My, my last name's kind of odd. It's J-A-Y-N-E-S, but you'll probably have that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So you can find it there. There's also, Jill, I want to mention a Bible study in the back of the book. So mm-hmm. it's a great book to do with a, to gather with some people, social distancing, of course, <laughs> or doing it online. Uh-huh. And there is a website for the book, right? Is that when you don't like your story.com? Yep. Mm-hmm. There's a, a landing page for that um, when you don't like your story.com. And it has um, a book trailer on there and some more information about it. Yeah. That book trailer is a powerful video. I, I really appreciated that. Well, thank you, Sharon, for joining us. And this is Sharon James and Jill Savage. We're signing off with an encouragement to go and change, allow God's perspective, 
and allow his redemption to change the end of your stories. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.